G'day, JY here. Thanks for listening to this episode of Chewing the Fat. Today I chewed the fat with Reese Harwood, the North Melbourne AFLW list and football performance manager. We spoke about Reese's work with professional female athletes, his journey to the top, identifying talent for the AFLW and the future of women's football. Please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you haven't already. And you can find us on Instagram at chewingthefat underscore podcast, as well as at CB Physiotherapy and at Equinox PS. Hope you enjoy. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, anywhere that you are listening to the podcast. This is Chewing the Fat. I'm Jay White. Today, I am not joined by the wonderful CB. However, I am joined by AFLW football performance and list manager at the North Melbourne Women's, Reese Harwood. Woody, how are you, mate? I'm good, Scoops. How are you? Thanks for having me. No, thank you so much for coming on. Now, this is for the listeners, a very exciting podcast for me because Woody is a very, very, very close friend of mine. Um, I've been wanting to get him on the pod for a little while and uh, we've finally managed to do it during uh, the Melbourne lockdown. We would have preferred to be in person having a beer and going through it, but there will be a time for that, mate, and I, uh, I can't wait for it. This is the first time I've seen your face for a long time. So I just wanted to get the little cute, nice stuff out there before you start giving me some shit and I start giving you some shit. But yeah, um, mate. You're in a good after Saturday. Oh, yeah. Let's just touch on that quickly, you know, just in case anybody is wondering about the, uh, the Bulldogs on the weekend. I'd written them off two weeks ago, two wins in a row. We're sitting here in a prelim final. Woody, you've tipped them both times and told me to relax, but I didn't. Yeah, you've been getting far too nervous for elimination finals. Far too nervous. They're a good team. They've been the best three teams all year. Yeah, look, mate, the, uh, you never know what you're going to get with us. It's, uh, it's a bit of a, a roll of the dice each week, and I am, um, I'm pretty happy with how we're going. But we're not talking about the Bulldogs today, mate. We're talking about you. We need to put the, uh, the pressure cooker onto you, my friend. So what I want to talk to you about today, mate, is a little bit of your role with the girls down at the Ruse. Um, I want to talk about how you got there, um, what it's like working with women um, as athletes and how any aspiring, um, you know, future AFL industry onlookers can get involved. So, mate, tell us a little bit about your role with the girls and um, how you got there. Yeah, sure. It's... Um... Probably the, one of the, the main things with AFLW at the moment is there's not a great deal of um, staff. So in our in our program, we probably have five full-time staff. So it ends up meaning um, we wear quite a quite a few hats each. But um, my role at the moment is kind of in two parts. So the first first part's around um, so probably the football performance part is um, the easiest way I can summarize that is it's as much support as the senior coach or to the senior coach that I can give in terms of constructing a game plan, um, wheeling out that game plan to the players. So in terms of education models and training models, um, and then um, kind of administering that, that, that game plan and strategy during the season in terms of how we're playing um, versus how we want to be playing. Um, and then probably the, 
probably the main part during the season in terms of how the competition's going more broadly, um, the trends of the game, um, how opposition are playing, different player personnel at opposition and just kind of managing or helping to manage that process through the season. And then the um, list management side is, um, yeah, probably more familiar with, with most people in terms of what that entails in terms of contracting or, um, you know, player trading, player drafting, um, and basically just trying to get a, um, a decent a decent team on the field each year. Um, so yeah, probably probably two parts and that role's kind of grown a little bit over the last, um, or de- developed a little bit over the last couple of years. Yeah, mate, and it's unbelievable, obviously knowing you like I do, to, um, to see you gr- have grown in the industry and grown in your role. There's a lot of hats that you have on and when we chat about it, there is a lot of work involved in your role and the roles that you've sort of taken in the past, but you're doing a fantastic job, mate, as well. The, uh, the North women have, uh, have been one of the better sides the last couple of seasons. They were very, very unlucky uh, last year with a uh, lockdown that potentially ended a premiership run. And this year, uh, things didn't go quite to plan, but still a pretty strong season on the field. So you must... I wouldn't say you're going to take credit, but there must be a lot of, uh, you know, kudos involved in your work with them. You came from the men's originally, and you touched on before that you were, uh, you were, that you are working with the, uh, the list management side of the girls. That's where you came from with the, uh, with the blokes as a scout. How did you um, get involved in, um, in scouting and men's footy like that? Yeah. Um, it was a bit of a different a different pathway, but probably a um, a little bit of a familiar one for anyone who's kind of involved in their recruiting space in the in the men's stuff is um, after school. Um, I was at, at uni, and and as you would have known, I was um, pretty pretty keen to get my foot in the door somewhere at an AFL club. But literally had um, probably at that time not too much idea of what what I wanted to do apart from being in the footy side of things, and then um, probably the key part of how to actually how to actually get in there. So. Um, actually, after the first year of uni, just took a break, um, deferred for a year, and and decided to do a um, what's called, a, I guess, a traineeship at an AFL club, um, which um, I was pretty unsure about for a while, to be honest, because it was um, it was as most traineeships are quite <laughs> quite long hours, quite low pay, and um, but was really keen to get my foot in the door, and it was in the administration side of the um, the club, I guess. So um, it ended up being the best thing I could have ever ever done um not only did it give me a break from uni for a year which was nice but um able to yeah get into a footy club and meet everyone and see how it kind of runs and operates and meet meet different people which is um probably the the key advice i'd give to anyone is just meet as many people as you can when you when you get your foot in the door but um through there i was to be honest probably just a little bit of a pest and um probably got lucky in the end with um with the uh, list manager of the, the men's at the time, um, Cameron Joyce, who went on to be the head of footy at North. And he's now actually the AFLW coach at Gold Coast, which is funny, but um, he'll do a really, really good job there. Um, and he, yeah, he was great. Like he, um, he gave me a lot of time of day, which is, um, which is really important when you, I guess I was probably only 19 or 20 at that time. Um, and yeah, let me experience different kind of sides of the footy, footy department and, and kind of mainly in recruiting and um, recruiting actually tends to be a bit how you can get your foot in the door of a football department, I guess, at an AFL club. And um, yeah, he, he and um, 
and Mark Finnegan as well gave me, who's the national recruiting manager at North, um, took me under their wing a little bit and was able to sort of give me some experience in the recruiting field and yeah, chipped away at that sort of um, after the, the traineeship, I sort of went into a part-time role in recruiting, um, which kind of um, developed into a full-time role. And then, um, yeah, it was a recruiting officer with the boys for, I don't know how long it would have been, probably would have been five or six years in the end, um, which was really, really, um, really, really good and a really kind of interesting process to be a part of and then have obviously jumped, balanced both and then I've jumped across to the women's space in the last three years. What was it like when you, um, I guess, when you did get your foot in the door? Because uh, you did t- you did mention before, you know, uh, we were pretty big footy fans all throughout our, we still are, but we were uh, we were pretty avid footy followers throughout our youth, especially uh, uh, going through websites such as Big Footy every day after school. We uh, watched every game. We spoke nothing but footy. To actually go into the environment um, professionally, what were your first sort of impressions? How did it sort of differ to how you imagined it? Um, it was very, it was very different. It was, um, I remember us walking home from school when we were 17 or 18 the night before the draft and saying who we should think we should pick and then blowing up and it wasn't, wasn't what we thought. And Do you remember then- when we thought about putting our names in the draft? <laughs> Just so I remember could, you thought, thought about that every single year. Just so we could get onto Draft Tracker. I just wanted to. Uh, I just wanted to see my name there in the profile. I I thought, do they still do Draft Tracker? Actually, I don't know. I'm still waiting for James Hampton Rovers to pop up in the mid forward section. Well, they just look no further this year. It could be the year. But um, <laughs> yeah, sorry, mate. Sorry to interrupt you. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it was. It was. Very different. I often say to people it was um, very different in a interesting way. Like I, I think there's often this perception of outside footy clubs and there's this like magical world of like, um, yeah, that it's just unattainable. If that makes sense, unattainable careers unless you've played 300 games and you know won a Brownlow medal or kicked 200 goals, which is um, it's very it's very different from that. There's so many different um, kind of pathways. Or, or journeys that people have been in to kind of get there and different skill sets. So that was probably the most eye-opening thing, how many different kind of skill sets there um, there were. But then probably the process side of things is in terms of how much, how much work goes into everything, um, whether that's from like a recruiting space of into each player. Um, like it takes a little while to get your head around in terms of just how much, how much um yeah, time and investment, like the recruiting manager or whatever, would put into a um, put into a draft process. So, um, but yeah, that was probably the main thing. It was a bit, just a bit eye-opening in terms of the different experiences that you don't have to have played, um, you know, two hundred games or been a great player to, to contribute. There's there's always a, a role kind of for your skill set if you if you want it enough, I guess. Mm. And it's amazing because like a lot of the time they also say it's about who you know. And, you know, someone can get you a job or you have to have a contact to help get that foot in the door. But you, from, you know, what I know, you hustled a little bit more. You sort of got yourself, you know, foot in the door and then broke it open by your communication with the people in there. So, it, you know, it is a credit to you. But, you know, it's also the fact that you always identified this industry as your dream industry and there's always how you could get in there so it's a it's a huge credit to you for the work you've done to get there and it's uh 
I guess it's very impressive to see now what you are doing with the women. So I want to touch on next a little bit about your um, your role with the girls and what it's like working with um, the females um, as opposed to the males. Um, first, I'll ask, how much work did you have with the players themselves in the men's? Day to day, largely none um, in terms of the... Um, yeah, the performance of the men, none. So, but in terms of the recruiting process, that was obviously a lot of um, kind of interviews and, um, and yeah, I guess getting to know the players um, and then being around the club as well. Obviously, you start to form, um, you know, some connections with, with kind of all the, all the players that are at the club. But, um, yeah, probably very different, very different, the two roles in terms of um, the current role now is very, very player-facing in terms of dealing with players all day, every day. And then um, the probably the, the beauty of the recruiting part of, of in the men's is at times it's a little bit um, it's a little bit player removed, which is good in a sense because it's obviously going to be quite a clinical role in terms of trying to improve the team and um, bring in new players. So um, that's why it's a little bit a little bit separated. But um, yeah, they're a little a little different the two roles. But no, nothing nothing more than in terms of the probably that interview um drafting process being involved in that i suppose in the boys yeah yeah and now going to the women you have a lot more what do you call it player facing so that's the term yeah. I, love, I love that term um you have a lot more of a player facing role with the girls what was it like when you first took that on and had to actually work with professional athletes uh yeah it's it's different it's, it always it's like anything it takes a little while to wrap your kind of head around some of the different intricacies, but um, probably the probably the lucky part for me was um, the start of that player kind of facing journey for me was at the start of our team. So everyone was like we're essentially bringing thirty players across um, the staff. Everyone's quite new um, when you start a team from kind of scratch, I guess. So this was when North, the North Women's had just basically got their license when you um, moved over, hadn't they? Yeah, so we missed out on a license in the first kind of iteration of the comp and then had to basically got a provisional license, um, I think about a year before we played our first game, I guess. So we had kind of the benefit of being able to watch the competition for a year, a year and a half, and then um, put our put our team together after that. So um, whilst the competition had been going, we kind of like we were a new club introduced after two years and we, um, so everyone kind of being fresh. Um, fresh into the club was was probably a good part for that but yeah it's like anything you um the better relationships you form with the players the um easier it is to understand them and work with them and um but they're all yeah um rippers so it makes it very very easy and it's like any any kind of footy club whether it's afl or bfl or BAFA or whatever everyone is um yeah everyone's um gets along really really well and it's a pretty good environment to be a part of did you feel like there was a few difficulties or obstacles when you first um, started in such a big role? Were there any, you know, communication issues that I'm not talking for the club, I'm talking like maybe for you and the players or you and other members of staff that you had to work on and evolve? Um, yes and yes and no. We've been pretty fortunate to have like great, a lot of great people around and um, even as you would know, like working with, some of my close mates as my um, managers or staff within the same department has made it really, really easy. Probably the biggest adjustment was going from um, 
being involved in the process to try to manage the process in terms of the recruiting stuff and then obviously the footy performance stuff now is very 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 different um so things like delegation and things that like the buzzwords like that is it takes a while to um get good at yeah i still don't think i'm doing it absolutely no that makes perfect sense um no that's that's pretty insane like i do um i do want to just reiterate it has been quite amazing to watch you evolve in your role and to watch you sort of grow and it's also been fantastic to watch the north melbourne women's actually grow as a team obviously with you on board there me and a lot of the other boys um we've sort of undertake or we've jumped on the north women's bandwagon a little bit we uh we try to go to as many games as we can obviously this year was a little and even last year to an extent a little bit harder to go to games but uh it is a fantastic competition. It is one that um, I personally have really enjoyed watching grow. It's not something that I, I'll, I'll put my hand up and personally say it's not something that I thought I would um, be as invested in as I am now. And even aside from you, I am constantly checking to see how the girls go. And I feel like I do have a little bit of a tie to the club. But I want to ask some more football related questions now. So we'll step onto the field a little bit. Um, I'll get- I'll get the bozo questions out the way first, mate. Um, are there any oh, girls? Here we go. These are the good ones. Are there any girls that you uh, sort of take a bit of credit for in the development or any girls that you are, uh, yeah, I guess you have a soft spot for on the field that you've helped um, bring through? That is a good, that is a good question. Um, not, not take the credit for, no. I think everything we kind of do, the, good, the really good part about our program is that we all pitch and help each other. So kind of everything we do, often involves everyone in terms of the, the full-time staff, which is really, really good. That was such a professional uh, answer. That was <laughs> that was a credit to the boys' answer. <laughs> uh, well, you know, you like there's Nathan Robats, our footy operations manager. I think you've met Rat and then Maura Kane over, kind of oversees the program. They're two of my close mates. So it's good we work really closely together. So we do everything. Um, oh, I think, uh, oh, there's probably a couple. Like I think, I think Jazz Garner, um, to get her across from Collingwood. Um, it's probably more like to be able to watch watch her development has been like amazing. Like obviously to go from, she's always been a really good AFLW player, but in my opinion, she's now in the best um, best two or three and she's probably the best person I've ever met in my life. But just to watch her progression in terms of her fitness journey, her footy journey and making that transition from like a key forward to a dominant inside mid. Um, I love watching, I still love watching her play and I still watch her at training every day and um, kind of think how lucky we are, to be honest. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, there's always there's always some different ones. Like I think first ever player we picked at the draft, Daisy Bateman, um, is always a special one. Um, it probably changes. It changes a lot. Depends how they're playing, I guess. If they're playing well, they could be my favourite. But no, nah, I think... Um, I think that the cool part is like there's, I think we've had four, uh, I don't know how many players we've had, but the, all the players we've had um, come through the, the program, I guess, have all had a really kind of different different journey. And then um, probably the other one is Aileen Gilroy from Ireland, who um, I probably shouldn't say this, but um, after watching her clips for four minutes, I was sold. I'm <laughs> a player from Ireland who's... Um, yeah, never played footy and had a couple of um, significant knee injuries. But um, that one is like for her to come across the island 
having never kicked the footy. I remember the first day she got here and picked up from the airport and we went and had a kick and um, it was pretty grim. Like she, <laughs> she was struggling to hit her foot, <laughs> and which we knew, which was fine. And then to now be in, um, I think she finished top five in our best and fairest last year and one of our one of our best players and I think one of the better Irish players to come across um, and she's the best person of all time. So, um, yeah, those are a couple, but they all have really different different journeys. So maybe ask me how, depending on who, who gets 30 and kicks a couple on the weekend, it might change. Yep, they'll definitely change. Um, no, that's good. And that's good to see as well, like your, um, the way you speak with passion about your girls. You can tell that you take a, yeah, you take a lot of pride in your work and uh, the work of the team around you. So you're um, obviously also working with the VFLW. So what's the uh, sort of, how does it work between the AFLW and the VFLW? And how does the, the player movement between those two comps is a lot different to the men's? um as most people know do you want to explain both how that works and i guess how you work with it yeah um it's yeah probably because the aflw is still so like young and in its infancy the season dates and even the vfl like it all changes quite frequently so it kind of depends a bit year to year but um look i'd say 80 to 90 percent of our role is the aflw side of things and the vflw is um still overseeing or um supporting the kind of list build so um getting the squad together and then um when it when it allows we obviously um our staff kind of transfer to the vflw for the season so um making sure that the i guess program the footy program side of things runs as smoothly as it can um to be honest the like the high level summary of our vflw program is um we want to give our aflw players who step back into vflw the best experience they can have in terms of development um un further understanding the game plan um and just playing footy for some of them um so the the program tends to mirror our aflw program as much as it can on field and then um in terms of the vflw players like obviously we want to win um but the the probably other key parties um trying to get as many players drafted as we can so putting them in through the program and developing them to i guess throw their hand up to be kind of picked at the end of the year, which um, which is always exciting. We had a couple of girls drafted this year to, um, one went to Richmond and one went to Fremantle. So that was almost as exciting for us on the draft night as you know, picking our own players. Yeah, yeah, the opportunities that come from it. Um, yeah, nice. And I guess when you look at the players on the field, so you speak a lot about their development. Um, What's the difference between the development in the women or the female athletes compared to the men? What What is it that you guys look for improvement in or what are the traits that you look for that show that a girl's going to be a top-level footballer or is going to make it at one of the higher levels? It's a good question. It's, it's um, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting one because it's probably unique to each player, but... Um, Look, I'll be honest, I, I was probably similar to you in a sense of even when the AFLW started in its infancy, I, I wasn't um, involved in women's footy or hadn't seen much of it. Um, and so I had to kind of like transition over to over to women's footy and it took me, yeah, well, still, to be honest, still, but it takes a couple of years and to get your head around it, even the basics, I think, of the of the players and what kind of works and doesn't work. And to be honest, for, for me, it was coming from a stand, standpoint of, well, this is what we think works in the men's. So 
let's see if it transfers over the women's and then kind of refining it from there. So understanding the similarities and the, the differences. Um, there is a lot of similarities, I think. Um, and I, I think the way that AFLW is progressing, like I think you're going to ask about it, but I think the, the, the standard or the way that teams are playing now compared to at the start is, is very, very different and tracks more towards the style that you can um, see, I guess, in the AFL or the way where the men's play, but so there's heaps of similarities in terms of like fundamental stuff, kicking, handballing, decision making, um, athleticism are all um, pretty key parts. And for us, and we've always been on the kind of record is um, kicking is always something, and, and ball use is something that we've prioritised probably I would say more than other clubs. Whether that's right or wrong, I'm not sure. But um, so yeah, I think I think the there's a lot of similarities, but then the differences in terms of um, less players on the field. Um, we have a huge group of players and every club would have this, that the, the um, degree of experience is so, so different. So you're, you're typical and not to kind of stereotype, your typical men's player who gets drafted has played footy for 10 years, um, gone through their NAB league or whatever club and played some champs or played VFL and then gets drafted and they've got 10 years of footy experience behind them and they step into the environment. For us, it's like here, there and everywhere. We've got some players who've played... Um, 10 years or just coming through now who, who have played 10 years and get drafted and have followed that pathway, but two thirds of them haven't. So um, two thirds, yeah, some of them have played for two years at VFW after coming across from netball and some of them, some have not played at all. Some have played, um, uh, yeah, a different sport and come across. So there's so many different, yeah, different um, avenues to play AFLW. So the level of experience player to player is like so, so different. So that bias um, your, um, uh, I don't know if you can say this, but does that bias your um, like drafting those girls? Do you sort of look at their experience and go, well, this girl's played a lot longer than this one? Not that this is necessarily a good thing, but you're going to favour the person who has the experience. But I guess that's a catch-22 because yeah. they potentially also have peaked. Um, you might have a girl who hasn't played as much footy who could be, you know, very, very good after another amount of years. Does Yeah, how does that influence your decision-making when you do look at these girls? It has heaps. I, I suspect it will be a little bit less and less as um, the fe- like the females are obviously able to play now all the way through from, you know, whatever age they want to, to draft age, whereas up until probably two years ago, it's been like the big group of players who were able to play until they were 13 or 14, and then there was no girls team, so they had to stop. So as it as like as it progresses, I think um, it'll start to mirror a bit more like the boys, where the players who've come through the pathway form the bulk of your um, the players you bring in. But at the moment, it's still as you said, catch twenty two. I'm a I'm I probably lean a little bit the other way sometimes in terms of um, here's this player who's played really well at whatever level for one year, and she's only played for footy for a year and a half, coming from basketball that kind of it's quite appealing, I think, of just the upside that could that could kind of bring. So that's why we've got so many players on our list who've only had, um, you know, three or four years of, of experience. And some of those players are probably some of our best players, to be honest. But, um, yeah, it changes a little bit. It probably depends person, person to person. But I think as it, like, progresses, you'll see more players who've played the whole way. The old Sweeney Pendlebury basketball backgrounds. You know, makes you makes the basketball background and play with Patty Mills. <laughs> makes, yeah, it makes the time stand still in the, the stoppages. Um, you did say before you sort of said that there are a lot of similarities, lots a lot of similarities between the men and the women. Um, it's something that I think 
on my side, um, we see a lot as a, um, you know, as a coach, when we're coaching women, it can be very easy to treat them like smaller men. Um, and I think, you know, there are plenty of similarities, but at the same time, there are a hell of a lot of differences um, that I think you notice with experience working with females. Um, I, what, are, what are some of the things that you notice on the field that the girls um, have that the men don't necessarily? So, yeah, I guess some men who've had a bit of experience playing are going to be, you know, good at these sort of things, sort of, these sort of things. What is it that you see the women are very, very good at quickly? Um, because I'm sure there'll be some, uh, yeah, some definite pros to working with them. Um, there's probably a lot of things, not just on the field, but in the program. I think they uh, want to learn. It sounds a bit like corny, but their willingness to like learn and um, like really want to do what you kind of tell them to do. Like dot every I and cross every T is like pretty amazing, to be honest. They just they want to know more information all the time. And the really good part is they'll always go and um, like transfer that. So they'll, they're very like... Um, compliant in terms of like game plan and side of things that side of things which is um which is really really good and um yeah i think probably with the boys there's as i said there's like 12 13 14 years of experience of the way they might do things so then something different might be not overwhelming but um harder to adjust to whereas the girls is like they're always asking for more information want to know more um and really keen to kind of carry out whatever you um whatever you put in place um for them um i think the other part is um again it probably sounds a little bit tacky but all the girls are involved in the aflw because they um really really want to be so um that's not to say the boys don't but the girls have like they obviously don't get paid that much let's be honest so they will have whether it's full-time jobs or part-time jobs or studying or you know we've got um mums who are looking after their kids right now or putting them through homeschool during covid which is a bit grim but um like yeah. they're, they've got nine to five things that they're doing and then they actually come to the club at six o'clock or 5 30 or whatever it is and and this like second part of their life or additional parts of their um for the limited pay and the effort they put in they're clearly doing it because they love it and they're passionate about it so um that's a big big change but then obviously the, the thing that uh, feeds into that is time we, we don't have them for a great deal of time um they might walk into the club um and everyone's a little different but at 5 30 and they need to be contractually out the door by nine o'clock so to fit in a footy program to that kind of schedule in two or three days a week probably three days a week um can be tough but they all want to be there um and they're all super passionate about it and um yeah they're all really good they've all got really good attitudes which is good yeah unbelievable um yeah, I think that's um, I think that's awesome. I really, really do. Um, what do you uh, if you were to have any young potential draftee sitting in front of you asking for advice on how they can get uh, to where your girls are? What what are the pieces of uh, what are the nuggets of information that you'd give them um, to help them in their uh, future endeavours? Well, you put me on the spot. So I want to play for North Melbourne. Keep working on your kicking. Um... <laughs> Uh, no, I think uh, I think it's like anything. Like work, work. The harder you work, um, sounds really corny, but you you can help me. But sounds um, it sounds a bit cliche, but yeah, the hard the harder you work, um, just keep putting yourself out there a little bit, and then um, 
yeah, the more they can get involved in the junior pathways coming through, that's starting to be some pretty like elite pathways in terms of NAB League or whatever it might be. Um, just get involved. Um, yeah, the amount of stories of, to be honest, like players who didn't think they were good enough or just decided to throw their hat in the ring in terms of it, a VFL club just for the sake of it, who end up on AFL list is pretty scary, to be honest. So, um, yeah, I think the game is the game is moving more towards um, you need to be able to use the ball, you need to be able to make good decisions um, and you need to be um, a pretty good athlete or have some athletic um, standout traits to an extent, So, mm. um, which is not similar to what I assume a kind of men's recruiter would say if he was on here is that, you know, your footy IQ and then your um, the athletic stuff form the main two probably main two pillars apart from the off-field stuff. So, yeah, yeah I probably haven't seen any gold there at all. Sorry. No, I think you have. The last, I guess, piece of advice that I reckon you should be giving them is don't do anything that's going to uh, lead to you breaking headsets in the box because we do uh, we do know a few, uh, we do know some stories and we have seen firsthand you uh, cracking it in the box. Won't name names or players or anything like that, but you are known to have a bit of an Alistair Clarkson type uh, aggression up there. Um, I'm Zen. I'm no... No raised voices or no raised voices. We'll, we'll get Laura Kane on the podcast next time. We'll see what she has to say. So she'll she'll sell you out there. Um, what um I guess the actual AFLW competition itself. Um, like we've touched on before, it's growing and growing and growing, and you know every year it gets uh bigger and bigger. What um what have you enjoyed seeing um, apart from the just the general growth. But what have you enjoyed seeing most um, from the competition itself? And where do you think the uh, the AFL could potentially improve the way in which they um, grow the game? It's a good question. I think I'm probably biased because it forms a large part of my role, but seeing the development of the way teams play, I think is, is exciting for me. Like, I, I again, I'm biased, but I reckon if you look at, you know, game one, of season one to you know the grand final or whatever of last season it's like two, different, two different sports mm-hmm. so the first iteration of the first couple of seasons was very very much a contest based stoppage um surge the ball territory um mentality i think and it was if you win the test of footy you get the ball forward you win and and it's um come a little bit um the other way now it's obviously still still um a heavy contest game but in terms of you know, I would say uh, just throwing a number at a wall, 10, 10 out of 14 teams have a quite a possession-based game plan now and um, the emphasis on, like, maintaining the ball and shifting the ball off the line and um, and controlling the ball up the field has, has come, uh, yeah, a long, long, long way. And I think yeah. to be able to sit there and watch teams, like, you could watch 14 different teams and, and if you watch them once, you could pretty clearly come away with 14 different methodologies which sounds silly but when you can when you can identify what a team is trying to do um, it's generally a pretty good reflection of their, their game plan so to see the differences in strategy um, which obviously forms yeah as I say a fair bit of my role is is really really good and to see that teams be able to play in different ways and and change the way they play even in game I think is really really good as an onlooker you'd you'd surely be pretty proud sitting up in the box and seeing things take place that uh, you guys have worked so hard on? 
I think uh, yeah, it is it is good. It's um it's hard. Yeah, I wouldn't say I enjoy it during the game. Um, <laughs> it's not, it's not a lot of enjoyment during the game. Um, but um, yeah, it is it is cool. I remember uh, one of my favourite things of um, I've seen over the last couple of years, and it wasn't even in the game. It was at training as we um, took off to work on set plays. So um, when, once you've been able to kind of embed your game plan, you then kind of extend on. Um, some set plays. So we're working on a kick kick in set play. Um, and it might have been to um, you know, five points down with 30 seconds ago, we're kicking in, a bit like Daniel Rich on the weekend. Um Taylor Dre saved the day. Um, <laughs> um, and we went through in the theater at training, we went through it on in the theater on the um the projector with some funky animations and stuff. Um, and we went out and practiced and we went out and did it in a like a match simulation an hour later. And they um, literally got it perfect from the first time. So the kick out, transitioned the whole way down the field. Um, it was quite a complex um, step play and kick to goal. And they like, the girls just lost their minds. They were so happy with like being able to, um, being able to like do it on the first try. I don't think we've ever got it since, mind you. Um, <laughs> <I've trained laughs> but um, yeah, just to be out, just the instruction and the development of Dave and that side of things, I think, yeah, the, footy programs are so different now to what they would have been four or five years ago. And um, everyone has a um, really distinct way they want to play, which then obviously um, starts to make the competition really, really interesting in terms of who's going to be good and who isn't, I suppose. Gives the team some identity. You can actually sort of, you know, know what you're going to get from each one. Um, yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. And, and then have to have to try and shift it and change it or review it and, um, Make it better. Did it um did it sort of mean when you first started looking at opposition teams when you'd come up against them, if there was a surge contested mentality, was it a lot easier back then to sort of do your oppo analysis than it is now, where the teams do have quite vast identities and you have to sort of plan for each individual team? Uh I actually find it easier now, I okay. think, because there's so much vari- variability now it's easier to pick up. And obviously we've got so much information in terms of numbers and champion data and that stuff as well. But um, I think it's easier now to work out what teams are trying to do because each team is quite different, if that makes sense. Whereas Mm. previously it might've been like, it's a little bit similar. Mm. Um, So it makes it a little bit more stressful in terms of week to week trying to maybe tinker with little things or for the way the other team plays. And there's also obviously always the, question in the back of your mind is is the way we're playing the right way um which is the trillion dollar question of course how many plans do you have is there a plan b plan c all the way down to z uh not really it's probably like a main game plan and like it's obviously broken down into ball movement team defense and contest so you have different methods for each one and then you try and have some alterations that you can make um in game but yeah unless it's rare to go from being like a possession-based team to then all right let's this quarter become a territory team like you tend to stick with your stick with your method um not the chris scott the chris scott plan a or bust <laughs> luke Everidge was a bit like that wasn't he until the weekend just to bring that up again we, we actually shift we actually moved the ball a little bit like geelong so um you know, the Scott brothers are my favourite people, so. Yeah, well, there you go. Makes sense. Um, no, brilliant, mate. That's um, that's fantastic. And, 
you know, like I said, as a neutral onlooker, now with a little bit of a, an emotional investment to the ruse, the um the competition has grown immensely. And it's, you know, it is thanks to people like yourself who have put, you know, a lot of hard work and their passion into it. Um, I think who's uh, your favorite player? Uh, oh, do you really want to go into this? I have a big yeah. soft spot for uh, none other than Sophie Abitangelo down in the square, just because she plays such a similar role to me. I uh, I like to take over the square, and she does exactly the same. So tattoos and cheeky girls. Oh mate, there's no, there's nothing better than sitting down at Arden Street behind the goals, ceiling, uh, cheering on Abbas. So you know you'll know you'll find me there in February once we can go back. So everyone, get your vaccines, please. Um, I guess we'll step away from uh, the women's for a little bit. We'll touch on you as a uh, as a neutral football onlooker. Um, originally, you were a Carlton supporter. Um, how is it working with another club now, but still having a soft spot for the Blues? That's an interesting question. You know, man, I was the biggest nuffy of all time, and I thought actually thought that was going to be a a big challenge was being able to. Um, work for one club and like love the other club, but it's <laughs> totally flipped on its head, to be honest. Like I obviously still have a soft spot for the Blues, but um, probably nothing more than a soft spot at the moment, um, which, um, yeah. But I think, I think obviously, yeah, very invested in the women's, the, the North women's stuff. And then obviously being at the club and having worked with the men's stuff, obviously love watching the North boys play and, and um, want them, want them to win. So, um, but yeah, I enjoy watching the Blues play. I won't lie when we play Collingwood or um, Collingwood or Essendon, and the kind of juices get flowing a little bit. Um, but then, um, yeah, we'll just leave we'll just leave the Blues at that for the minute. Leave the Blues at that for the minute. You just get excited about the old Bulldogs v uh, North Melbourne Good Friday games now. That's uh, the real rivalry. Not this year's one. No, there wasn't much happening there, was there? We won't go into no. depth on that, but. Um, I had to sit next to you screaming Josh Bruce for two and a half hours back then earlier this year. Josh Bruce doesn't even have to kick many goals for me to be screaming his name. He's uh, he's an absolute hero and I love him. Um, as, a, as a football fan, who's going to uh, take out the flag? Or who, who, are your, who are your winners this week? Good question. We talked before the prelim, by the way, so this is... So this is Monday the 7th of September, or oh, 6th of September. So prelim finals this week. We've just seen the semis. Cats and the Ds? Probably tip whoever I don't tip. I don't – I think Melbourne. I think Melbourne have been uh, – look to me to be the best team all year, in ter- particularly in terms of the way they defend and their defensive system. Um, but I think uh, – um, a relatively inexperienced final side against, I suspect the most experienced final side will be very interesting. I'm also a big, I like what the Cats do as well. So I don't, I don't know. I think we've got the best four teams in the prelims, which is good. Um, I'll say Melbourne with uh, low confidence. <laughs> Let Chris know. Chris is a big cat supporter. So um, he'd probably be screaming bloody murder right now. But the other game's the important one uh, the dogs and the power. Um, is the bomb playing? Do you have any inside scoops? I have heard some whispers, nothing that I can say on the podcast or else the person will kill me. But uh, let's yeah, just that. say, let's uh, just uh, say he's playing, but he's he's not not in the best way. 
And uh, no, I think the dogs will win. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So D's dogs grand final. These, I haven't even thought of it till now, but it could be a cat's dogs grand final, which would just be it'd be the end of this podcast. It would be friendships in our friendship group too. Oh, we we do have a lot of cat supporters in our group, don't we? And uh, you know, you um, I guess you as a blue supporter, or originally as a blue supporter, we never really had to worry too much about you because. You weren't doing a hell of a lot, but we had a cat supporter. Dogs were doing prelims back when we were a little bit younger. And, uh, you know, the Bombers, are, well, until recently, were thereabouts, just couldn't win any. So I think this year could finally be the one that tears uh, tears the boys apart. So I'm used, I'm used to adopting a different team in September. So <laughs> having, having gone for the Blues. So, um, nah, I think I love the dog midfield. Like, I think it's pretty, and I'm probably biased because we've, a little bit of our list building effort over it's probably mirrored that other dogs in terms of building from the midfield out and trying to mm. try and stack the midfield a little bit. So I hope they win because it, it is um, amazing to hear like so many times today you have mentioned that there are elements in the men's recruiting and the men's development, like examples of teams. Like you've mentioned the Scott brothers a couple of times and your admiration for them, just mentioning the Bulldogs there. It is um it is really cool to see. And I do think um yeah I do think that we're only, the, the competition's only going to get better, and uh, thanks to people like you, it's um, yeah, it's growing and growing. Last question for you, mate. This is the final one. So every time someone comes on this podcast, we have to ask them possibly the most important question of all, and that is, okay. does tomato sauce go in your fridge or does it go in your pantry? Um, well... There's a few different parts of this question. I've just moved into a new place and I can say through report, I do not have tomato sauce in the Ooh. house. I'm not a massive condiment <laughs> user, <laughs> but it would it would absolutely go in the fridge if I had it because, and it would go firmly next to the chocolate, which also belongs in the fridge. This is why we're such good mates. This is honestly why we're such good mates because you, you speak in my language and I promise you, Chris and everybody else, this wasn't pre-organised. Woody had no idea that question. If you put in the cupboard is for Neanderthals, if you ask me. That's yeah, he's a huge cupboard advocate. And he um I think we had the first four people that came on the podcast said I think three of the four said cupboard, but since then I think it's just it's been fridge. So I think we're up to like it's like six to three now or something like that. So we're probably going to have to find a new question because there's no contest. Well, if you want a final answer, you should ask our friend Sam because having lived with Sam, the man owns 476 condiments at any one given time. So he will know he's the king of condiments. Big, big cat supporter as well, Sammy. So I'm, um, I'm very happy we did, um, we did get an episode like this. I've been mentioning to Chris every week that I think we should just make this a permanent footy podcast. So apologies to all the guests we've had on before, but um, yeah, this one's been a little bit close to my heart. <laughs> we're our own version of the AFL exchange. Yes, we are big fans of the AFL exchange and uh, there's only, there's only what, what 10 o'clock. There's only eight more hours until uh, we can sit down and watch it live. So I'll definitely be having that on the screen tonight. Uh, as my Marley, Beverly, Yeah. Um, Woody, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, been a huge pleasure chatting to you about the uh, the girls and um, all the best for uh, the off season for you guys. We'll, uh, I'm sure we'll have you back on soon. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to seeing you at the games next year. Brilliant. Behind, uh, or maybe. We'll be there. Brilliant. Go Roos. 